The Lord be with you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. We welcome you to Marsh Chapel on this Trinity Sunday as we join together in scripture and song and praise of God. Whether you are seated here in the nave of the chapel, listening live via WBUR at 90.9 FM in the greater Boston area, listening over the internet at WBUR.org, or listening later via podcast at bu.edu backslash chapel, please know that you are a valued part of our community. My name is the Reverend Dr. Karen Coleman, and I have the pleasure of serving as the Associate Chaplain for Episcopal Ministry here at Marsh Chapel. Our Dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, is traveling this week and sends his warm regards to each of you. Today, we gather for Trinity Sunday with our preacher and colleague, Brother Larry Whitney, University Chaplain for Community Life here at Marsh Chapel and a PhD candidate in Philosophical and Comparative Theology at the Boston University School of Theology. We gather today to worship God and be reminded of the divine gifts of grace and love which join us together in the body of Christ. Let us stand as we are able in the praise of God.
Let us pray. Holy God, faithful and unchanging, enlarge our minds with the knowledge of your truth and draw us more deeply into the mystery of your love that we may truly worship you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Generous God, we gather in your house to praise you. The opportunity to say thank you is a blessing. We thank you for those times of plenty. Let us never take those times for granted in our work ethic instead of your grace. As the choir sings the Kyrie, let us pray. Lord, have mercy. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their face, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the threshold shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew at me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongues. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be the God. 
Please join me in reading Psalm 8 with the antiphon. Our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful? Yet you have made them a little lower than God, and crowned them with glory and honor. All sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. Please rise as you're able for the Gloria Patri. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you have created all things, and by your will they have their being. You are worthy, O Lamb, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed us for God from every tribe and language and nation. You have made us to be a kingdom and priests serving our God. To the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. You may be forgiven for flinching somewhat when you are told by friends what they have heard that Christians say, or hear about what Christians are doing on the evening news, or read about how Christians vote in your morning newspaper. You may be forgiven for that knot in your stomach when you hear that a seminary president has resigned in the wake of criticism for enabling sexual assault, sexual harassment, and domestic partner violence. You may be forgiven for wondering what what passes for Christianity these days has to do with Jesus of Nazareth. How did we get here? Well, consider for a moment all of those posters and t-shirts and bumper stickers and tattoos you have seen sporting merely eight characters. 
J O H N three colon one six. What does that inscription even mean? For someone walking down the street, it is just a string of eight characters with no obvious meaning. But of course, being a good churchgoer, you know that it refers to the Bible, and therein to the Gospel according to St. John, the third chapter, and the sixteenth verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Well now, ain't that nice. God loved the world, everlasting life. Sounds pretty sweet. But what lies lurking beneath the surface, that is, what is being implied when the verse is foisted in the faces of the uninitiated, is not the promise of salvation, but the threat of believe or perish. Rather than the grace of God, the verse is being used like an underhanded compliment to spread judgment and condemnation. What's more, it is pretty obvious, even to the uninitiated, that this is precisely what is going on. The name of Christianity is in a pretty sorry state in many quarters, not because people have not learned how wonderful Jesus is, but because they have learned just how horrible Christians can be. Can the name Christian be redeemed? I'm not sure. But perhaps it can be rectified. The project of rectifying names comes not from the first century of the Common Era in Palestine, but from the fifth century before the Common Era in China. You may have pause to wonder whether an idea at such distance in time and space from Jesus, let alone from you and I, could possibly be relevant. But a very important dissertation set to be defended in August here at Boston University makes the case that the two need not necessarily be as far apart from one another intellectually as they are from some of their own neighbors in time and space. I am grateful that my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Bin Song, Chapel Associate for the Confucian Association here at Marsh Chapel, is here to read from the Analects of Confucius this morning in Chinese and English. Zi Lu Yue, Wei Jun Dai Zi Er Wei Zheng, Zi Jiang Xi Xian. Zi Yue, Bi Ye Zheng Ming Hu. Zlu 行法不重,得民无所措手足。故君子明之必可言也,言之必可行也,君子于其言,无所苟而已矣。子路 asks, If the Duke away were to employ you to serve in the government of his state, what would be your first priority? The master answered, It would, of course, be the rectification of names. Zi Lu said, Could you, master, really be so far off the mark? Why worry about rectifying names? The master replied, How boorish you are, Zi Lu. When it comes to matters that he does not understand, 
the gentlemen should remain silent. If names are not rectified, speech will not accord with reality. When speech does not accord with reality, things will not be successfully accomplished. When things are not successfully accomplished, ritual practice and music will fail to flourish. When ritual and music fail to flourish, punishment and penalties will miss the mark. And when punishments and penalties miss the mark, the common people will be at a loss as to what to do with themselves. This is why the gentleman only applies names that can be properly spoken and assures that what he says can be properly put into action. The gentleman simply guards against arbitrariness in his speech. This is all there is to it. Thank you, Dr. Song. Now, before you sit down, perhaps you could help me with something. I seem to have forgotten the name of the author of that very important dissertation about to be defended regarding doctrines of creation in Christianity and Confucianism. Do you recall who it is? It's still your friend. <laughs> That's your dissertation. Well, this is awkward. Dear friends, please join me in congratulating Dr. Song on his tenure-track appointment as Assistant Professor of Philosophy and Religion at Washington College in Maryland, beginning in July. The project of rectifying names begins with the assumption of a leader who has undergone an extensive program of moral self-cultivation. Such a leader would lead by moral force, that is, would have influence simply by virtue of the quality of their character, including at the level of influencing how their followers use language. Rectifying names is about making sure that language accords with reality, that words correspond with real objects, and that grammar articulates real relationships and distinctions. Of course, as we are learning in our time, in real time, immorally self-cultivated leaders are quite capable of having precisely the opposite effect to disastrous social consequences. For an example of rectifying names, we need turn no further than right back to the Gospel according to St. John, the third chapter, the first through the fourteenth verses. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I say to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Nicodemus is confused. 
and we can hardly blame him. As far as he can tell, birth is something that happens at the beginning of life. It occurs once, and it is a rather bloody affair of being forcibly ejected from the womb of one's mother. Jesus is here rectifying the name born to refer not only to birth into this life, but also birth into eternal life. And this birth is by water and the Spirit from above. Unfortunately, this attempt at rectification largely fails. In point of fact, this is likely because Jesus violates two of the four maxims of conversational implicature identified by the British philosopher of language H. Paul Grice as underlying conditions for successful communication. Jesus upholds the maxim of quality, speaking what he knows to be true, and the maxim of relevance, speaking to the topic at hand. But he violates the maxim of quantity by failing to provide as much information as needed for Nicodemus to understand, and the maxim of manner, which requires clarity, brevity, and orderliness, while avoiding obscurity and ambiguity. If anything, this excursus excursus serves to demonstrate that rectifying the name of Christianity can be no small feat. The name of Christian, for many, refers not to the grace of God, but to rank hypocrisy in service to the self-interests of its purveyors. Such hypocrisy is inevitable when so many Christians have shifted the reference of what they take to be ultimate from God to their own self-interests, which is precisely what Paul Tillich identified as idolatry, mistaking the finite for the infinite. The Bible is mistaken for God, masculinity is mistaken for Christ-likeness, whiteness is mistaken for purity, The nation-state is mistaken for the realm of God, and money is mistaken for salvation. It is not the case that these idolatries are recent inventions among modern Christians. Many, if not all of them, have been lurking within Christianity virtually since the beginning. Much could be said detailing the histories of each of them, but for the moment, let us focus on the last, the confusion of money for salvation. As another very important dissertation, recently defended at Harvard, points out, theology and economics have been intertwined in Christian theology all the way back to the writings of St. Paul, rendering the logic of salvation in financial terms. I am grateful that my dear friend and colleague, the Reverend Dr. Jennifer Quigley, Chapel Associate for Vocational Discernment here at Marsh Chapel, is here to read an example of this from St. Paul's Epistle to the Romans in Greek and English. Ara un adelphoi, ophelitai esmen, ute sarki tu kata sarke zen, egar kata sarke zete, melite aposnesken. E de pneumati tas praxes tu somatos thanatute, se seste. Hosoe gar pneumati theu agontai, hutoi huioi theu esen. U gar e labete pneuma duleas palin es phobon, ale labete pneuma huiothesias, en ho kradzomen abba ho pater. Auto to pneuma sumature to pneumati hemon hoti esmen tecna theu. Ede tecna kai kleronomoi, kleronomoi men theu, sun kleronomoi de Christu, eper, sum pascomen, hina kai sun doxas thomen. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh. To live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness 
with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if, in fact, we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Thank you, Dr. Quigley. Now, before you sit down, perhaps you could help me with something. I seem to have forgotten the name of the author of that very important dissertation about theoeconomics in St. Paul's epistle to the Philippians. Do you recall who it is? I'll quote Harry Potter and say, she who shall not be named. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's your dissertation. Well, this is awkward. Dear friends, please join me in congratulating Dr. Quigley on her graduation from Harvard Divinity School with the Doctor of Theology in New Testament and Early Christianity last week. Is anyone else having deja vu all over again? Some of you may be wondering how we got from there to the idolatrous hypocrisy that characterizes too much of Christianity today. Alas, it is really not that hard. Allow me to demonstrate. Here, then, a proof that former U.S. President Jimmy Carter is, in fact, the savior of the world, on the basis of the Gospel according to St. John, the third chapter, verses 15 through 17. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. From here, I take you to Valentine's Day 2011, my first Valentine's Day with Holly, to whom I have now been blissfully married for six years today. Happy anniversary, love. (laughs) On that Valentine's Day in 2011, I had planned a nice evening out with dinner at a tapas restaurant, followed by a screening of Casablanca at the Brattle Theater in Harvard Square. To this romantic plan, Holly appended a pre-dinner screening of a documentary film on the effort to eradicate guinea worm, a parasitic infection contracted by drinking contaminated water resulting in the growth of a worm, sometimes up to a meter long, in the lower extremities over the course of a year, which then emerged through a blister in the skin to deposit their larvae and begin the cycle all over again. Not quite so romantic. Now, in John 3.15, Jesus prophesies that just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He is referring here back to the Hebrew Scriptures, the book of Numbers, the 21st chapter, where the Israelites are wandering around in the desert, whining. And so God sends a plague of fiery serpents to whip them into shape. Of course, they repent, so God tells Moses to put a serpent on a pole, and whoever looks at the serpent on the pole would live. Note here the similarity with the medical symbol of the rod of Asclepius, a Greek deity of healing and medical care, which is a serpent wrapped around a pole. Guinea worm may well be the plague of fiery serpents described in Numbers. After all, when the worm emerges from the skin, it does so through a painful blister that sufferers describe as a burning sensation. Thus, on the basis of Jesus' prophecy linking his own crucifixion to the plague of fiery serpents, and then his crucifixion to the salvation of the world in verse 17, clearly the salvation of the world consists in the eradication of guinea worms. Since there are still people in the world who suffer from guinea worm, clearly Jesus' crucifixion was not as successful in accomplishing this goal as he had promised. However, due largely to the dedication and resourcefulness of the Carter Foundation, led by former U.S. President Jimmy Carter, guinea worm cases are down to only 30 worldwide in 2017, from 3.5 million cases 30 years prior. Thus, Once guinea worm is finally eradicated once and for all, Jimmy Carter will have saved the world. 
See, you really can get the Bible to say pretty much anything. I should note that Jimmy Carter himself would be horrified by this interpretation. If you don't believe me, then you should attend Bible study with him at Maranatha Baptist Church in Plains, Georgia, before church some Sunday. Just be sure to get there early. Very early. Like, before 6 a.m., if you want a seat. This example also serves to make Confucius' point that when names are not used in a way that accords with the contours of reality, the common people will be at a loss as to what to do with themselves. Indeed, what are we to do with Christianity and those who call themselves Christians? Confucius prescribes exemplary moral leadership that does not succumb to the inevitable hypocrisy of idolatry, but instead accords its own actions with what is real and true and good, that is, with God. Such leaders would be able to rectify the name of Christianity by influencing others to accord their actions with what is real and true and good. But where are we to find such leaders? Right here. Marsh Chapel, you are such leaders. You have the ability to go out and in thought, word, and deed to rectify the name of Christianity. You are empowered by the Spirit to go forth and accord your actions with what is real and true and good and to hold those in power to account when they lie and cheat and steal. To rectify the name of Christianity, go forth as good Confucians, that you may resist hypocrisy and idolatry, that you may properly distinguish the finite from the infinite, and that you may lead with moral force. On this Trinity Sunday, Bind unto yourselves the strong name of God who makes reality, Christ the norm of truth, and the spirit that leads us into goodness. Amen.
As we turn our hearts and minds to prayer, I invite you to remain standing, be seated, kneel, or come to the communion rail according to your tradition as we sing together our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord. Let us praise the crucified and risen Lord, who sends upon us the Spirit, which makes all things new. I will conclude each petition, God, have mercy. Please respond, Christ, have mercy. O Word of life, one God with the Father and the Spirit, God, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. O eternal light, who through the working of the Holy Spirit received from the Virgin our human nature, God have mercy, Christ have mercy. O crucified Redeemer, through your desire to make us anew, the life-giving Comforter moves among us. God have mercy, Christ have mercy. You breathed on the apostles the spirit of your love, that sinners might come to know the mercy of God. God have mercy. Christ have mercy. You are seated at the right hand of the Father, from whom we receive the gifts of the Spirit. God have mercy. Christ have mercy. Through the power of the Holy Paraclete, you wipe away our sins in the waters of baptism and open our hearts to the guiding hand of God. God, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lift up our hearts to the heavenly places and inspire us to serve you as a royal priesthood. God, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Let all peoples acknowledge your kingdom and grant on earth the blessing of peace. God have mercy. Christ have mercy. Send down upon us the gift of the Spirit and renew your church with power from on high. God have mercy. Christ have mercy. May peace abound and righteousness flourish that we may vanquish injustice and wrong. God, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Help us to proclaim the good news of salvation and grant us the needful gifts of your grace. God, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Having commended the world for which Christ prays to the mercy and protection of God this day, let us pray together the prayer that Jesus taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
Good morning. Welcome to Marsh Chapel, beacon of liberal Protestantism, a heart in the heart of the city, and a service in the service of the city. We are delighted you are with us for worship today. This Memorial Day weekend marks the official start of the summer season at Marsh Chapel. While our weekday academic year programming is suspended until September, our Sunday service continues at 11 a.m. throughout the summer at 735 Commonwealth Avenue in Boston, online at wbur.org and at 90.9 FM. If in the different rhythms of summer you wish to join us in person for the first time or the 300th, parking is always available behind the Boston University College of Arts and Sciences building on Sunday mornings, accessible at the end of Bay State Road. For more detailed instructions about accessing the parking lot, you can contact the chapel office at 617-353-3560 or email chapel at bu.edu. On this Trinity Sunday, the ministry staff extends a special congratulations to the Reverend Katie Cole, twice BU alumna, colleague, and friend, who will be installed as associate pastor of Fourth Presbyterian Church in South Boston later this afternoon. We celebrate with Fourth and the greater Boston community in welcoming Katie into this new role within the Fourth community, where she is had a huge impact over the last several years, especially with summer programming for youth and in broader community organizing. For other announcements, please see the chapel website at bu.edu slash chapel, where you can also find a catalog of past chapel podcasts and also learn more about supporting the ministry of Marsh Chapel. We are a diverse community, a community of welcome, open to all people, regardless of sexual orientation, citizenship, or political persuasion. Whether you join us for a single summer Sunday or for a more fulsome season of life, we look forward to fellowshipping with you and working alongside you in ministry. And now as the ushers wait upon those in the nave, I encourage you to remember it is both a blessing and a discipline to be a giver.
gracious and loving God, all that we have comes from you. Bless these offerings and our lives, that we and they may begin to reflect your divine generosity in all that we do and say in the world. And we pray this in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go forth as good Confucians to rectify the name of Christianity, that you may resist hypocrisy and idolatry, that you may properly distinguish the finite from the infinite, and that you may lead with moral force. On this Trinity Sunday, bind unto yourselves the strong name of God, who makes reality, Christ the norm of truth, and the spirit that leads us into goodness. Amen. Amen. 